everybody. Welcome to Cell Shade. I'm Nick. And I'm Tyler. And today we are talking about Neon Genesis Evangelion, the 1995 anime that kind of revolutionized the whole industry. We're going to be talking about sexuality, the importance of really good characterization, like introspection. We're just going to, we're going to get into a lot of deep shit today. It's going to be really fun. Yeah, and I mean, to give a little background, Nick has seen the show a bajillion times, and I've seen it once. So you have, uh, if you're wondering what it's like for a viewer who's only seen it one time through versus a viewer who has studied it more intensely, you kind of get both sides of that coin. All right, so today we're talking about Neon Genesis Evangelion. It's Woo! one of my favorite anime of all time. I think, babe, you can kind of attest to that. It's always on. It's, it's always on. I hear that on. music. Basically, if I wake up late to go pee, mm -hmm. uh, and Nick's still up, because I'm a He teacher. hears a Cruel Angel's Thesis, which is the name of the intro song. It's usually that sad, scary piano music in the ending credits. Like, oh, yeah. Ding, ding. I can't even do it, but dum, it's very frightening. Dum, 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 <laughs> Yeah, it's very upsetting. I mean, in a good way. And you just see Ray spinning in, like, a cycle of water. Yeah. And it's really... I, I kind of expect that noise or the boom, 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 boom. <laughs> or, or I remember when I made you watch it for the first time, just the deafening sound of cicadas at all times. Oh, yeah. Well, and they also have one of the themes they use is very similar to Halloween, like the John Carpenter, like... Mm -hmm. I'm not sure which one that is, but yeah, at this point, I'm, I'm just going to rewatch it again and look for oh, it. Oh, of course, of course. <laughs> so, yeah, I've seen this show um, at least through, like, 10 maybe close to 15 times um and like i'm just gonna say right now i have seen only the netflix version that is very controversial in this fandom where people prefer the original 1995 um dub <laughs> but yeah. um, because like you know there's like some more translation things that go on but this is the one that i'm used to and i can just say that i became obsessed with this like obsessed obsessed with this i have seen it through so many times I talk about it often. I could talked about getting a sleeve tattoo of it at one point. <laughs> I think that would be rad. I I've always wanted you to I mean, get tatted up. The I just, I just think get... tats are, are are sexy, and then my fiance has tattoos. <laughs> that, that, that's basically all I'm trying to get tat happen. Well, like just just the character designs in general, because that's just something that this show did that kind of started cementing it as one of the. Um, like the staples in anime iconography is the character designs. Um, just like, cause Shinji, the main character, Shinji Ikari, he is such, he's so downplayed. He doesn't have big hair. He doesn't have like an extensive silhouette. He is just a 14 year old boy, which is something that a lot of, that at this point in like this kind of culture hasn't really happened yet. It isn't, I hadn't thought of that before, but in anime in general, everyone has a large silhouette of a mm -hmm. character. Yeah. And he does not, even the other characters in this series have that silhouette. It's yeah. just, he doesn't, he's continually looking small, small, small. Like, the closest thing I can even say is that Misato has a jacket. <laughs> like, that's all yeah. I can really say, is she has her little crop top jacket that's red, and no one else really wears, oh no, Asuka wears red. Um, but... It's just one of those things where they really wanted to dial it down because of the themes of this show. They're incredibly intimate. They're um, sexual. It's about growing up. It's just all that stuff that's just focused through this lens of the mecha genre, which, again, at this time, this was released in the mid-90s, and that was when um, 
shows like Gundam Wing were coming out where the mecha genre was all about just big badass robots like these crazy brash characters piloting them and huge big fucking action scenes and if you really look at what this show did is it focused not on the action but on the pilots themselves and even in Gundam Wing those characters they were like 14 15 years old but they're just handling all these huge like epic adventures with the maturity of an adult and that's just not how life works and this show kind of dared to take on that whole idea of what if we really just make these characters 14 year olds it's definitely the most mature representation I've seen of animation ever. Mm-hmm. And I say mature because, like, I've seen ones that are more violent. I've seen ones that are more sexual. But, like, this was definitely just the most mature. Because, like, violence and sex can very much be catering to that, like, 12, 13-year-old boy audience. But mm-hmm. this didn't feel like it was catering to that audience at all. It didn't feel like it was catering to a teen audience in any way. Just going to with that, this what the show wasn't really meant for like any audience in general. It was created by Hideaki Anno. He is um, a Japanese animator, and he was assigned to do this project, and he made it almost exclusively for himself. Like it goes, he was in a deep like state of depression while making this. He was analyzing religious iconography, like looking into and studying, like ways to deal with depression like how depression is analyzed a lot of freudian like analyses lots of going into like id ego super ego which they literally explicitly state in the movie and it all just comes together into this like this way of him dealing with that it definitely goes crazy into like academic psychology and philosophy mm-hmm. <laughs> like and not even like in terms of practical use but it definitely it feels like some freshman psychology major is definitely writing a paper about this. <laughs> you know, like it. But it still gets so deep because it's all about his own personal psychology. And no one can yeah. tell, like, no one can know that except for that person. Mm-hmm. So that's the thing is, like, as much as some of the stuff is pretty standard, it's so. Oh, I don't personal. even think it's standard. I think it's just, it gives you a lot. Yeah. You know, like, there's a lot to dive into. And I think if you were wanting to write, like, a thesis on an animated, you know, like, project. This is kind of your go-to, I imagine, just because there's so much... Done. You, you, yeah, you can do anything within religion or philosophy or um, psychology or sexuality. It's all in there. It's yeah. very complicated and layered. Yeah, this show, it just has, like, the first episode is when we get introduced to what is like the main antagonist of the show, which is angels. And it's not, angels is always used with something that like, what would you say? Like brings goodness, light, security. But yeah, angels things, are not a positive thing in this world. Yeah, that's the thing is like, they're just not positive. They bring destruction. They bring it like... Well, when angels in the Bible are described very horrifying. How are they uh, described in the Bible? It's, I mean, they, uh, like they have eyes all over their body and feathers popping out everywhere and there's so much light that it's frightening. Mm-hmm. They usually are wielding a sword or something that sword is may or may not be on fire. And so it's like, and there are obviously positive angels. And it's weird because it's not like the angels are the villain mm-hmm. in the Bible, whereas they're very much uh, a villain in this show. They're like a conflict. Whereas, but like they're, they're not meant to bring comfort and peace in the Bible pretty much ever. 
Like, they're either scaring the shit out of you, blocking you from going somewhere, telling you news you really didn't want to hear, <laughs> you know, like, it's <laughs> possessing a donkey. <laughs> it just, you know, there's a lot of, like, weird shit there, so, like... I didn't know that they did that. That's intense. There's a donkey <laughs> thing. I'm not going to get into it right now, but look up the donkey thing. It's one of the weirdest stories in the Bible. It's, like, this man beating his donkey, but then an angel has possessed it, and it's, like, and the donkey's, like, stop beating me. And then, <laughs> like, it's... <laughs> <laughs> you can just imagine it just turns around it's just like hey 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 stop it <laughs> i always really liked that story when i was little in the bible i don't think that like my sunday school teacher had interpreted it that way but for me i just really liked that they were like hey don't hit your donkey because <laughs> <laughs> you really hadn't seen anything else anyway that's oh my like gosh, a, that's, that's very uh that's a very big digression but, but, but like... I, wasn't, I wasn't really aware that they came in multiple for- in multiple forms because that's actually a thing that they talk about in this show they're very the frightening that... in the bible yeah. There's something very jarring about seeing one, and people are usually afraid. Which is what, like, all the angels in this show, they all look different. Like, the first one has this incredibly skeletal look with a, um, like, a plague doctor beak. And, um, like, the one after that looks like a hooded figure with whip arms, and we have a completely geometrical figure, all the way to the end where it literally looks like a normal boy. And that's kind of, like, the whole point of this, I guess, is, like, these insecurities and these horrible things that you're always afraid of can come in literally any form and you just have to find a way to deal with that. Um, but I guess I just want to talk, go back to just talking about the character. So our main character is Shinji and then we introduce Ray. Ray is one of the most famous characters in all of anime because she is the first of her kind. There's never been a demure character like that who is so central to the plot they're usually were considered like a love interest that was like in like every fifth episode or so that the main character is just like oh they're hot whatever no ray is not only like a main character she is i would say the central focal point for the entire plot because she brings in like Shinji's obsession with his mother, Gendo's obsession with his wife, Asuka's obsession with female competition, Misato's obsession with... This is what I'm talking about. I feel like a lot of freshmen are writing a lot of papers. (laughs) There's there's so much to pick from. It's sort of like, in comparison to like another media Mm -hmm. of like, there is a whole section of academia called Buffyverse. You know, because it's like everyone can find something to write about. And I feel like this show's in that same vein where it's like anyone... You, you, you know, like, you can find something for any class to write yeah. about from this because they cover so much, which is neat. I mean that as a positive. Yeah. And this, it's just, and it's just, it's so juxtaposed with Ray's, like, just dismissal of everyone because it takes a long time for her to open up. Like, we literally make it to episode, like, 23 or 24 before she's like, oh my god, I need to go help somebody. Because she's always just, she sees herself as a means to an end and therefore sees a lot of things as a means to an end. Asuka even calls her out on that when they're trying to get back into headquarters after everything's shut down. It's just one of those things where, she again, she was the first of her kind. No one's ever seen, like, even a silhouette like that where it's like the short, what do you call her hair, Bob? I don't it, know. It is Bob adjacent. Bob adjacent. Her Bob adjacent hair. <laughs> that, that's what we're worried about. We're like, all right, 
Now, what would you describe? <laughs> Just like, what would you call your hair, right? Oh, it's Bob adjacent. It is definitely in the Bob family. She wouldn't even say anything. She'd just be like, it's hair. I'm looking her up. Whatever. But, oh, please. <laughs> as if that just happened naturally. Isn't it blue? It is blue. What do you mean? Oh, it's just hair. She clearly <laughs> was going for a look. <laughs> but yeah, she is just constantly like at the center of everything just has this this ambivalence towards just like she sees herself as a pawn which in the end is true which also sucks yeah it's definitely a bob yeah (laughs) (laughs) i looked it up it's definitely a bob and yeah and if she ever said oh it's just hair i would laugh at her fucking face (laughs) because that is such a clearly like it's such a clear look you're going for i mean if you laughed in her face she wouldn't do anything about it yeah she only ever like she clearly cultivated this image though that doesn't just happen it's not like oh my hair just did this Mm -hmm. um now she's doing something well her personality again is just so it would be so hard to be her friend (laughs) It's like she doesn't talk about anything. She doesn't do much of anything besides pilot her Ava, go home to her literal like rat hole. It's just yeah, it's very very nasty. But they cut they come back to it because she was born and raised in this dirty ass lab at essentially the center of the earth to then come home and recreate it, and then no one questions it because no one likes to get to know her because she's very off putting. But um, I want to just take a second to also just talk about Shinji's personality, which is the constant questioning of yourself, which I related to so much as a teenager. Like he's constantly questioning if people like him and he's just thrust into this whole situation, which is just this whole counterpart of like growing up and just dealing with stuff as it comes towards you. And he's just a little shit about it oh i mean that's definitely what drew me to the show more at the beginning mm-hmm. i think i'm i'm definitely fangirling over the first half more than the second half mm-hmm. uh including the like film finale but it because the first half it did feel like looking at this person who is riddled with anxiety and depression and daddy issues and doing that while he's coming of age, which is, like, I think really relatable to a lot of people, mm-hmm. you know, especially 14-year-olds, and what that means to be coming into puberty while also still being a child. You're both, you yeah. know? Like, you're, your body's turning into adult while you're still a kid, and how stressful that is. And then to put it in the terms of facing the angels, it, like, makes sense you know, metaphorically, that it's like, now you're being thrust into an adult situation when you're not really ready to be in that adult situation. And you're filled with shame about how you feel sexually, and you're filled with uh, all these fears, and you want your dad to like you, and he doesn't give a shit, and you know, like, and it just, it's just this revolving door of emotions with him. Yeah. And that's definitely what I was more drawn to in this series. Like, when I first started, I kind of stopped watching just because I was fascinated by watching this like adolescent horror show yeah because like it's like you said he has he's just in such a state of development he feels like so much shame and equally no shame which is why oscar hates him and it's also why he hates himself is because he doesn't want to pilot these things because he's just like i'm putting these people in danger but then his interpersonal relationships he's so like in a state of self-absorption and thinking that everyone needs to help him and he cares so much about what others think and that's exactly why no one likes him (laughs) yeah i mean yeah that's the irony is that like he's worried that no one likes him and the only reason that people don't like him is because he's so worried because just compared to (laughs) other anime protagonists like a lot of 
um, and my protagonists are male. Like I'm speaking um, at this point, the thing that I can think about most is like Naruto, even Gundam Wing, the main characters have an unshakable sense of justice. They're incredibly headstrong and they're loud. And Shinji is literally none of those things. Like, not even figurative. He is literally none of those things. Yeah, there's something so sensitive about him. Yeah. Just in general to be drawn to a protagonist like that. And I wish they would have dragged out the queer stuff more. Mm -hmm. I think the way it had been described to me ahead of time, I thought it would be a more queer experience. You don't really get into that until, like, the last two episodes. Yeah, and you meet this man, and then he's gone. And, like, it was... I I liked that, especially if we're looking at him as, like, a bisexual Mm 14-year-old, which I think he is, based on what we watch. uh, Because I do think he certainly has sexual feelings towards the women around him, but also towards the men around him. And... That is, I mean, I wish we would have delved more into that. Mm -hmm. Um, It's because it's such a refreshing thing. And I just want to talk about this really quick. They kill him, right? His one, like, gay love. Shinji kills him. Um, But, like, I just feel like, I don't know, it's a little barrier gaze for me. Mm -hmm. uh, Of just, oh, well, mm, he's gone. And you're... It was very disappointing, Mm -hmm. I think, watching that aspect of it just fall apart so quickly and so completely that they didn't want to explore that anymore. And they're like, it just, yeah, it felt very much like the writers and the creators going, Ooh, we did this. Oh no, too scary. And then running away. Mm-hmm. Like we did it. It's fine. We did it. And I'm like, no, lean into that. Like, it's probably the most interesting thing you've done so far. I don't know why you're so quick to get rid of it. That's actually a thing where that actually depends on the dub because the original dub from the 90s actually goes into it a lot more. It's a lot more funny. It's a lot more out in the open. Whereas but he still dies one, within the episode he's introduced, right? He does. So then yes. my point stands. <laughs> okay. Whether or not there's a new dub, it's, I mean, I know there's different dubs. Mm-hmm. That's, there's no whether or not there's a new <laughs> dub. There is another dub. Whether or not it's portrayed differently in the dub, do you still introduce the gay character, well, the queer character, I don't know, um, and then remove him within that same episode? And there is, I don't even want to say it's problematic, but it's like, it's so basic. Mm-hmm. Isn't that what we're all used to, is like... Disposing of them. Yeah, like, oh, here they are, oh, they're gone. And I think it's really easy to kill gay men as a writer. I think they love it. Yeah. <laughs> I think they enjoy it. I think they're like... I think it gives people, like, just this weird hard-on to kill gay people. Yeah, there is um. just this, this disposure of queer characters. I did it in Sailor Moon, where they made Sailor Uranus and Sailor Neptune cousins. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, that is... Of... Now, that's an actual thing that we should have a whole other episode on. Oh, I want Because, to, yeah, I think that that was a very clear, the dub has removed their sexualities, mm-hmm. from what I've read. That they, like, explicitly undid something that the Japanese creators had made. And I just, like, I wanted this, just the sexuality in animation in general. I just feel like the fact that this show even dared to even talk about it, I know it wasn't completely fulfilled in the way that we would have hoped for, but this is the fact that I even got a taste. Because that's just something that I feel like in animation industry that's specifically made in the United States, we don't really get a lot of that. Like, we're either, like, afraid to talk about it, like, through animation... Because I can't really think of anything from when I was growing up that really talked about it. They're getting into it now with things like Steven Universe and Kipo and the Age of Wonder Beasts. But there's just, I want it and I want it, I want more of it. I want it now. And that's the thing is I, I needed it then. Yeah. And well, like, and I guess, I mean, and to give it credit, we have to remember this is in the 90s mm-hmm. where to even hint at it or introduce it. Well, they didn't even hint at it. Like, because I wouldn't call this queer dating. 
Because it's not like they were like, are they gay? Are they not? No. No. 100% these two men. They have an attraction. They had feelings for each other. So it wasn't like queer baiting, but it was like a quick, maybe it's a queer baiting and switch is what you would call (laughs) it. Because it was just like, oops, he's gone. And you're like, ah, I'll damn it. But I guess, no, that is a good point. Is that like even uh, to to look at it from its time period perspective to give it a little, and I don't want to give it credit, but like just to give it understanding. Mm -hmm is maybe a better way to say it, um, just to, like, understand where they were coming from, that, like, at that time, to yeah. even introduce it was a big deal. Yeah, because, like, it's just sexuality is just so taboo, mm-hmm. and I just, I don't want it to be, because this is a great way to do this, because in, like, I like to say this a lot, that in animation, you are literally bound by nothing, so everything should be fair game. Why not that? It's something that's so integral. I think with you don't answer. Up. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so integral with growing up, and that's why I love the fact that like we just get to see these kids experience that stuff, and because it's like you really see yourself in them, and like with Shinji just being this sensitive like recluse, and Ray not giving a shit about anything, and Asuka caring too much about stuff, like. It's just incredible seeing all of it and just all of it comes together in this huge realm of giant fucking robots. <laughs> yes. Uh, and that's the thing, the cool thing about it is that I feel like when the angels were attacking more, it definitely was when the show was at its peak. Mm-hmm. Because you had that balance, you know, like you had the balance between the philosophical and the emotional, psychological aspects of it with action. Yeah. And I think that that created like, the perfect mix and balance. I actually think that the turning point of the action is actually when Asuka's introduced. Asuka is my favorite character in the entire we'll show. We'll talk about Asuka a little bit. Who is she? What is... Yeah, so name? Asuka gets introduced in episode eight. So essentially what happens is the first seven episodes is always revolving around Shinji and Rei and, like, introducing Misato and Ritsuko. It's a little Monster of the Week at the beginning, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, like, which no, I'm no, fine no. with that format, by the way. I don't say that in a diminutive way. I mm-hmm. think Monster of the Week format is a great way to start a show. There's a new angel every, like, one or two episodes. There's, like, a new thing. They defeat it. They move on. And then they introduce Asuka, who is a direct foil to Shinji. Like, you can tell throughout their relationship they butt heads so often. Asuka, like, hates Shinji, and whereas Shinji wants nothing but for Asuka to like him. It just gets into this whole thing. But thinking about the characters that we had, they're so introspective and they cave in on themselves so often an entire show like that would have been boring, right? Like, and then Asuka's introduced and she brings like the fire back to it where she's just like, I'm piloting this fucking robot. Fuck yeah, let's kill shit. It was definitely fun to have a new person come in with an entirely different personality. And yeah. she's German, right? She's German, yes. yeah. She's so, so proud of what she It was cool to like does. have like a different culture come into and like just sort of spice up the, mm-hmm. the the situation. It was nice. Yeah, but yeah, she's just so proud of what she does. She literally says this is all she lives for now. All she wants to do is protect humanity and even more so all she wants to do is have people marvel at her for doing this. And that's something that Shinji doesn't want to do. He always says all the time, I don't want to be doing this. People should, like, I hurt people. I'm so ashamed. And she's just like, fuck off. Well, what they we're are doing that is so going, cool. Yeah, going back to that, like, different sides of psych. Like, she's the, the id, I guess. You know, because she's going to do what she wants to do when she wants to do it. Right. Runs on the pleasure principle. Uh, very reactive to situations. Um, she takes control. It was a cool just... foil to have to, to Shinji, who 
is so inward mm-hmm. and in you know like everything is I've overanalyzed it and I'm a mess which is fine <laughs> but it was nice having Asuka to be there to be, like kind of pick on that a little bit you know like and it made I think the writers a little bit more self-aware that they were like oh yeah he's a little much yeah. you know like and it was neat yeah because honestly Shinji in real life would be exhausted oh my gosh I could never be friends <laughs> with him ever he's so tiring yeah but just um, I'm more of an Asuka <laughs> yeah I just I love her so much because she just brings this energy that I think the show really needed because it's just so weird thinking that a show with giant robots. Up. Yeah. A show with giant robots and monsters needed energy. Oh yeah. <laughs> it is very fascinating. It's impossible to explain this show to anyone. Yeah. But I just, yeah, just diving into the other parts of it, Asuka definitely comes with her own demons. Her biggest thing is she, she with her mom, right? Her mother, um, yeah, her mother killed herself. That'll hear it. Like, that, it just, it ruined her. Like, that's literally her, the peak of her story arc is actually an angel committing psychological warfare and digging up all of that stuff. And Asuka, like, this is what I think, is she actually goes insane. So the thing with Asuka is that she also just comes with her own demons. She has the dealing with her mother. A lot of people comment on the fact that they really sexualize her. It's one of those things where everyone keeps commenting on her body that she's filled out early. How old is she too? She's 14. So the thing about Evangelions is, um, this is a rule that they stated, you have to be 14. I am, they never go into it. They just, they always, like Ritsuko always just says, that is the rule. You have to be 14 and your mother has to be dead. <laughs> it sounds like more so the rules for like YA. I know. <laughs> like you have to be a little mm-hmm. and you have to have a parent that is dead or estranged or you've been shipped away from your parents. Did you watch Dragon Ball Z ever? Yes. So but not like a lot. I yes, think of I've like the it. fusion ritual where it's like you have to be the same height, the same age, like the same things. Yeah. Your dicks are the same size and it's like, oh no. my god, no. Well in general I just think of a, like, because I do see still kind I did not just kind of I do still consider this YA despite that it's very mature I consider YA and Mm -hmm. like um and I don't mean that again diminutively I I just think that that's the genre in which it falls yeah and I mean I can't think of a YA protagonist that hasn't been separated from their parents one parent or both parents are dead or they've been separated from one parent because I'm just like Bella separated from her mom Harry Potter his parents are dead and then separated from his step-parents and then I'm like don't they hung, do that in Disney a lot? Hunger too? Games. Dad is dead. And then she's separated from her mom. And so, and I think it's just, it's a coming of age trope in general. Mm-hmm. Is that like you are away from your comfort system. And... But at the same time, they're literally inside it. Because um, the whole thing about the Evangelions is that they're an empty vessel imbued with a human soul of the dead mother of the kid who's inside it. <laughs> it's very Cubone. Yeah. Yeah, it is very Cubone and Marowak. <laughs> Literally, oh my god. I have cracked the code. Oh my god. Oh, and Pokemon. And I just thought of that like literally right now. Like people listening, that's live. That was live stream thinking. And Pokemon came out like the same year. I want, oh my god. I had not even thought of that until just right now, but you were like inside the soul of their mother. And I'm like, like, Cubone wears the skull of his mother. (laughs) 
I'm not even that into this stuff. Okay, so <laughs> cubo number one. To put this together. <laughs> so cubo number one is Ray, and cubo number two is Asuka, and three is Shinji, whatever. <laughs> but Asuka, she, people constantly sexualize her to the point where she's like, boy crazy she loves she's in love with ryoji she constantly tries to get him to sleep with her wait you're talking about asuka asuka oh gosh yeah. i don't remember uh, watching that child trying to sleep with someone no yeah um that's so, so uncomfortable yeah so that's mr kaji the guy who's constantly who sex? i mean i'm sure that it exists i'm just thinking about me 14 which mm-hmm. was come home make a bag of pizza rolls watch friends on dvd so it's like it's hard for me to fathom this yeah, yeah that's the thing is like <laughs> that's 14 year old time our lives are so different than hers because she saw her mother kill herself she's at at 14 years old she has an entire scene where she's staring in the mirror she's having her period and says i don't understand why i have to deal with this i already know for a fact i will never have children who at that age thinks like that. oh several people do but but it's because of what she went through and the fact that i was like i know it, i knew several 14 year olds when i was in middle school <laughs> who said i'm never having children why do i have yeah. to deal with this and that's just but, just thinking about just like her progression she comes in as this firecracker and then you just slowly peel these layers away to where just at the end of the show she's ruined <laughs> it was yeah they i mean She's in the bathtub, staring at the ceiling, emaciated, just saying, no one wants to visit me anymore. I can't even pilot the Ava, the one thing that I even want to do. I should just die. But she doesn't have, like, the wherewithal that she had earlier in the series to just do it. And that's another thing. The show just takes its characters and peels them away to the point that they're just ruined. (laughs) Everyone is ruined by the end of it. They, I mean, started killing off people that I was like oh, oh, oh okay um, yeah. I think yeah it was, it was very overwhelming towards the end watching them go one by one by one oh, we should also talk about I can never remember names but I think she had blue hair or black Mis- hair that's Misato that's Misato and there's the blonde one that's Ritsuko because those are sort of seen as the mother figures the but I think that they were seen as two sides of one coin yeah right like because you have one that's a lot more like she, uh, blue hair. Misato. Misato <laughs> is, I'm just so bad at character names, and you guys, if that, if that bothers you, this is going to be a trouble for you. Um, <laughs> Misato is, in my opinion, that, like, edgier, cool, step-parent type vibe that's like, I got this, or even, like, an older sister who has to raise a kid, you know, like, yeah, something like 20, that. she's 29 years she old. She reminds me of, like, kind of, like, when my older sisters were having a day when I was younger who were, like... Because I think our age difference is the same. How old is Misato? 29. It's a 15-year age difference. Okay, so it's not quite me and my sisters. But, like, there was, like, a six-year age gap where I was 14 and one was 21. You know, so it's, like, we had that sort of back and forth, you know, like, where it was, like, I'm older, but not, like, that old. Mm-hmm. and But I'm here to take care of you, but I'm not. And, like, and then you have the blonde one who is named... Ritsuko. Ritsuko. Or you can say Dr. Akagi. I'm going to... Call them Lady M and Lady R <laughs> from now on. Like, I'm really bad at names, and also I just like to say Lady M because it makes me think I'm saying Lady Macbeth. <laughs> but yeah, they. Uh, I, I just feel like she was, you know, much more like Type A, much more controlled, and it was cool, like, to see that parallel between the two of them, who were both sort of like, I don't even want to say maternal, because it, it definitely felt to me more like older sister vibe. But like, I'm gonna like caregiver type 
field, but in very different worlds. And I think they represented different parts of probably Shinji. Yeah. As well, and like what he wanted. Does he want that adventure and exploration that Lady M has to give versus like the control and responsibility of Lady R? Which is very, because just I like that you bring that up because they're also both, both of them are very not defined, but just so like limited by their interactions with exploring those parts of themselves. Like Misato, when we get introduced to her and we see her in her house, her fridge is just filled with beer and candy. She's clearly not, that is all she does. She just drinks beer, gets a sugar high, and then goes and kills giant aliens. Her drinking beer is the funniest thing to me because she just like reacts like no one who drinks beer reacts in the real world. She, not even like college freshmen or like frat boys drink beer like this because she chug it and they go, (laughs) always scream scream like it hurt her which is funny to me because i'm like beer isn't very high in alcohol so why are you like because i would get like for instance if i like grabbed a bottle of jack and took a large pull from it and i go you know like because you have that like the burn of the alcohol Mm -hmm. beer doesn't burn you so why are you screaming <laughs> like i was just i don't know that always she literally I mean, she's like, my favorite character i want to clarify again even though i can't remember misato 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 yes misato who i can't remember her name uh is was my favorite character i thought she was the most interesting because i think that she was just also delving into another type of like how to handle depression and anxiety because mm-hmm. like she partied hard worked hard and I think that we've all had stages of our lives where we're doing that, where we're running on fumes, you know? Like, I feel like that was me in grad school. <laughs> like, because the only solution for me was to go get wasted and go party and then yeah. go work all, you know, like, write papers all day and, like, work all day. And, yeah. And then you go out and get trashed. <laughs> and, like, that's really the only solution. I thought that it was really interesting that I think also she had an awareness that her life had a, a clock, like a ticking. Mm-hmm. I don't think she expected to live long is my theory on her as well, which is why she's just constantly eating what she wants, drinking what she wants, because she's like, well, we're... Yeah. You know, like, We'll get into that eventually with, like, essentially the goal of where they're working at, which is to kill all life on Earth. Yeah. (laughs) But her... They don't know that, though. And, like, it's... Yeah, I think... I think she didn't imagine that her life would be long. Yeah. Especially since, like, what they're doing... It's these giant cataclysmic battles. Not to just keep comparing this to Buffy, but I feel like she's Faith. Yeah. Where it's oh, like... I like that. Yeah, Faith always just lived this high-octane level of fun and partying mm-hmm. and work because I don't think she expected to live very long. Yeah. And I think even before she became a Slayer, she didn't feel that way. Yeah. And there are people like that, you know? Lots of Buffy crossover, um, like, comparisons, too, because Misato, like, Faith is also just very tortured by personal relationships. Oh, yeah, and it's just, she's constantly... Yeah. Misato's in particular is, it, does, it all stems back to, like, the child's relationship with the parents, because Misato hated her father. Her father was essentially Shinji, this spineless, wimpy bastard. <laughs> and she then, has no patience. Yeah, she has no patience for that. And that She'll really... give him a full-on mouth kiss, though. Anyway, yeah, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that that's like it just informed like how she had relationships with men especially with kaji they dated they lived together and they were just clearly bad for each other what speaking of animated characters i want to have sex with he oh was... ryoji <laughs> mr kaji why do i want to sleep well, with so him? does asuka he's a cartoon but i'm just like he has animated stubble 
he has animated stuff. I think that's what did it for me. Yeah. I mean, I am so anti, like, ponytail, too, but man, that ponytail. He has animated stubble, a dumb ponytail, and doesn't give a shit about anything. And He's perfect for 90s. Fuck me slash. hard. Fuck me hard. Yeah. Like, anytime he wants, anywhere, mm-hmm. this fictional <laughs> animated human. And it's just, and then Misato also just takes this guardian role and tries to, like, not and tries to make sure that her imperfections don't impart on the people that she's watching after but it's to like their own detriment to the point where she doesn't focus on things that they're having issues with and she keeps trying to identify them but then delivers the advice to fix it in such a straightforward not very good way (laughs) because that's how she deals with everything she's too she's incredibly blunt not subtle when she's a child uh, when I say child, I mean, like, there's still a lot of growing to do, and I feel like she wasn't ready for that part. Mm-hmm. I don't think she was emotionally ready for all this stuff, but I also feel like he, that makes her character, again, she's my favorite, but I feel like that makes her more commendable, mm-hmm. is that she wasn't emotionally or, or, you know, like, mature enough to handle all this shit, but she did it anyway. Yeah. And I, I, I feel like that's really cool. I feel like her being flawed is cool, too. I don't really want any character to be like super perfect and super redeemable all the time and she and no character in this series is they are all a fuck up Mm -hmm. in their own right and i enjoy that yeah it's just that it's that concept of we want characters who can do anything not a character who can do everything because what she's good at she's good at and what she's bad at she's bad at all the characters fit together like puzzle pieces and it's just incredibly incredibly well done it probably is better female representation representation than most TV uh, most TV shows I've ever watched. Yeah. To be honest, just because like at least they're the they're incredibly capable and they're incredibly tough, but they're also like complex written roles. Yeah. Uh, it makes me think of like Rachel Vice when she was annoyed in an interview being like, I'm so sick of people saying strong female characters. Cause she's like, what does that mean? <laughs> does that mean we're a superhero? Like that's boring. You know, everyone knows the best superheroes have flaws. Yeah, I wouldn't cut. Yeah, everyone loves Iron Man because he's fucked up. Like that's the point. You know, none like, of these characters are boring. Not a single one. Oh no, they're definitely. I think the most like maybe it takes me a minute is probably Ray, but I think that's just because I don't know what to do with someone like that. Yeah, uh, because. Well, again, she again she's an experiment. She's the first of her kind. Yeah, exactly. So like it, it makes sense. And then Lady R, whose name is Ritsko. Ritsko. We can talk about her next because I also really like her. I love Ritsko. I think she's very interesting. Yeah, her um yeah so her relationship is also defined by her mother. Her mother and her didn't. And that's have everyone's her. issue. So that's why like except for Misato, hers was with her dad. Com- oh, there you go. So, I'm like, comparing this to Freud is not an absurd concept because I'm just like, everything is the mother. Yeah. The mother has done everything <laughs> on this show, and I feel like. Well, maybe that's a flaw of the show. I don't know, but it's just like putting that much. It's a little basic and a little expected to blame the mother for everything psychologically, right? Mm-hmm. And that is this show. Yeah. It is the fact that you didn't have a mother, the fact that your mother sucked, the fact that your mother was depressed, the fact that your mother was, you know, like, whatever. Anyway, keep going. Her mother was more just distant, and actually, her mother is the one who created the Magi, which within the um, Nerve, I don't think I've actually said that, they work in a place called Nerve, which is the company that fights the angels, and Nerve is essentially run by this computer system called the Magi, and Ritsko's mother programmed these supercomputers to be comprised of the different parts of herself which is just 
it's really cool thinking about the parts of yourself that fight in conflict with each other to all achieve the same goal. So these computers are. I thought it was her mom. Yeah. This show is so weird. I know, literally. The, the computer is her mom. No, the entirety of where they work is her mom. <laughs> it is just her mom. <laughs> and so the Magi are separated with um, the conflicting personalities of yourself as a mother, yourself as a woman, and yourself as a scientist. So it's like your role onto yourself, your role onto others, and your role onto the world. And it's just all those things, you always want to accomplish the same thing, but they'll constantly fight with each other. And that's a really cool thing to think about because Ritsuko has the same thing where, unfortunately, she could never be a mother. So she has these two things that are fighting with each other instead. And it's just this constant battle of trying to get to this one place that makes everyone happy, but knowing that you sacrifice something else instead which is another big thing that this show does is like you're trying to save the world, but you're sacrificing your own sanity <laughs> to do it. And yeah. again, we just, we don't see stuff like this really made anymore. <laughs> Nothing really goes this deep it's very into heavy. what it means yeah. to be a person, to be, to just interact with others and to f- know yourself, but also know others and know your place and, that is just what the show is about. It's interacting with others and knowing yourself in the world. That is all that the show is really about. And I think that the, I mean, the amount of work just put into each character's backstory and how they are involved with the central plot yeah. is very impressive. Especially when you compare it to other high character level shows, um, like thinking of like Game of Thrones mm-hmm. and how that was a show with a lot of characters and how they really dropped the ball on several of them. Yeah. Whereas I don't feel that way with this show. I don't think that they were bringing in characters and not fully fleshing out their arc because I felt like every character as they dropped dead has, you know, like had a, had a moment at the end of their arc that made sense that was like, oh, we ended here. Mm-hmm. And that's logical that we've ended here. Yeah. Uh, like, even Shinji's dad. And that's really neat. And I don't really feel like we get a lot of that anymore mm-hmm. with live action or animation, where it's like, we're going to make sure that each character has this fully fleshed out idea. And I'm thinking about that, too. The only character that was really introduced for, like, an episode was Kaoru. But he was also seen as, like, a means to an end, which was developing Shinji's character development and kind of finishing that arc of opening yourself up to somebody immediately and then exact and then everything that Shinji feared that would happen happened where it just gets turned back around on him and then he shuts in on himself again that would be the biggest question I think I would have for the writers if I got to sit down with them mm-hmm. is be like what the fuck happened there <laughs> um but at that point we've covered pretty much all the main characters except for Gendo but he's Gendo? Gendo is um Shinji's father Oh, yeah. Who I would also count as, like, a main character. Oh, he's a good character, too. His... I believe him. His relationships are, like, defined by his wife and his son, because we don't get to see his parents or anything. Um, I I actually love his development. Not even development, lack of development. I find him very realistic. Mm -hmm. I love his justification for not being a good father. He's like, well, I wouldn't have been a good father, so I just kept him at a distance. And I'm like, that is a thing I've heard in real life. You know, like, and I... You know, I teach. So <laughs> I hear 
all sorts of crazy shit in mm-hmm. my life. Um, and it's like, that is similar to things I've heard, yeah. <laughs> which is sort of like, well, I'm going to back off cause I'll just fuck it up anyway. And, and you're doing irreparable damage by backing off. Yeah. Backing off is literally the worst thing you usually can do. I mean, I would say second worst, I guess abusing the child is probably worse, but it's like, but to just back out of a situation is in its own form, another form of abuse. It's neglect and it's horrible and yeah. it doesn't, you don't recover from that. And I don't think that always parents understand that your absence is the scariest thing and messes up a kid more permanently than almost anything else. Yeah. And I say almost anything else because obviously, but you know. Mm-hmm. And his, like, we get into his relationship with his wife. Like, he deeply loved her to the oh, point Oh, and I that believe that, yeah. That's, like, his main goal with the Human Instrumentality Project is to reassociate himself with her on a literal cellular level. It's so Like, he misses up. her that much, despite the fact that when we get introduced to him, people think that oh, he doesn't really like her. He's using her to get ahead in his own field. But losing her ruined him. And that just severed his relationship with Shinji because he was in this marriage solely for his wife and his son is a byproduct. And I guess... Because was he like talking to his wife's like ghost or spirit at the end? Mm -hmm. And he was like, I... You gotta understand, though. Like, what was I gonna do? And I'm like... And then she flat out says, you were afraid of him. You are an asshole. That's what you are. But it's... Yeah, I really liked the way they wrote him. Obviously, I don't like his character. He's an asshole. But, like, I... I liked the way he was written a lot. I think a lot of people could relate to him. Especially putting him from a queer perspective. A distant father who basically wants a pat on the back for not actively ruining things mm-hmm. but passively ruining them i think is something that a lot of like queer men especially can probably relate to is just like the dad who's like well i didn't hit I didn't you hit him. yeah like you know <laughs> like, like I, you want credit for not being a dick yeah like i didn't kick you out of the house doesn't yeah. that count for something and i think a lot of yeah that's another queer coding aspect of this that i feel like is shinji's father i think a lot of I mean, in queer men and women, I don't know why I said men. I don't know what how the dichotomy, like, not dichotomy, uh, I don't know how the balance of power works within those situations with gender and parents, but, mm-hmm. like, yeah. from a lot of queer people I've spoken to, it's, it, you know, it, it's things like that that are said. We just watched the end of Evangelion a few days ago, and it's just the, you find out in the end that the whole point of Nerve and its parent company, Seal, is to commit this thing called the Human Instrumentality Project, which is the artificial evolution of humans into a single entity. And the whole point of this show is about the deconstruction of the walls that you build up around your heart that can literally be seen manifested physically as the AT fields, um, which the angels and people can generate. And even just in your interpersonal relationships where you're just like, oh my God, go away, I'm having a day. Um, But it's just, we've talked about this before, that that can be seen as like, like a version of heaven where you just forget all earthly ties and come together. And like, that's the ultimate, not even joy because you would forget joy. It's just like the ultimate goal is to just be one with everything. And that's what these people are essentially trying to do is to just be so okay with themselves and so okay with the world that they feel at peace with it. But that's just not how people work. That is just not how people work. That is what all these characters are fighting with themselves to realize and we do it through so many different avenues to just know that everyone feels alone but you're not alone and because like that's what everyone's dealing with but that's just where 
you're trying to get. That's where the show is trying to say, like, that's the end goal is to just be open. It's also not clear to me that, you know, like, the bad guys theoretically win in this, but did they? I mean, I mean, no, I don't want to say did they. They did win, but I'm also like, was it bad? Yeah. And I don't know because it's something so existential from what I'm currently living on this physical plane. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, is it a bad thing that we all of our souls got absorbed into this thing? Maybe that's okay. And I don't have the answer to that, uh, which I guess was kind of neat. There was a lot of people who thought it would be a good idea. And maybe if we, you know, it is, it's the true release of the ego, right? Mm-hmm. Is, is letting go of yourself and what is important to you. And a lot of people still today believe that that is the true key to happiness is to stop worrying about yourself and to stop obsessing over your own problems. And the moment you're able to do that is the moment that you're able to lift yourself to a higher source of and a higher way of living mm-hmm. is to just drop all of your issues. But it's also weird if I see someone who's like that happy and enlightened, I'm always like, what a jackass. Exactly, but you would feel that way. Yeah. Because you are serving your ego. Yeah. I don't know, and I'm not saying that that's what I want for humanity, but it is it is an interesting thought to think of, because at the end I was like, I don't know, maybe they're all happy. And who's to say that's so bad? I don't know. Like, maybe it's cool to just give up yourself in that way. I, I don't know, because I've never done it, and it's impossible <laughs> to do. So it's, yeah, and I think the show makes you question that. A lot is like, is it a bad thing? I don't know. We don't know. And that's the thing is we'll never know. Well, I think this is actually a very good place to stop. Um, so yeah, Tyler, what did you think of the show? I, I mean, Nick's seen it several times and I've seen it once. I definitely needed a commentator to tell me what the fuck was going on. Because mm-hmm. uh, even when you're paying attention, you get very confused. And especially those like more trippy, expressionist, abstracted, philosophical episodes... It's really hard to follow. Yeah. The beginning is pretty simple. Uh, And then it... And I guess maybe that makes sense with the show is that at the beginning, everyone has their own identities and towards Mm -hmm. the end, they all crumble and dissolve into each other. Mm -hmm. It's uh, deconstructionism. It gets deconstructed. And it... It it was neat. It was cool. I definitely liked it. It's just... it's, It's not an easy watch. It's not a casual viewing experience. It is an intensive viewing experience. You don't... If I was comparing it to a book, this is not a summer beach read. Like, you're going to need to pay attention. And you're going to need to just sit down and watch it. And know that you won't have a good time. (laughs) But that's okay. Because it... A lot of art challenges you in that way, and I think this is very challenging. Yeah, this is a very challenging show. If you have not seen it, definitely watch it, and let us know what you think. All right, so this has been Cell Shade. I'm Nick. And I'm Tyler. And join us next week when we get to talk about adult animation in South Park. Woo! Woo!